just wanted to go back here for a moment and just to appreciate what we're doing together when we sing the praises of God. You might be here, you might not yet be a follower of Jesus, and you're thinking, what's this, what's this all about? Why gather people and sing on a Sunday morning when I could be in bed? But we, we're singing these, these words about the holiness of God. That word, it means that God is other and separate from us in, in every way you could even try and understand. He's not like us. He's, he's pure and sinless and, and glorious. We used the word majestic, didn't we? We don't use that word very often in the 21st century, but it's like it's bigger than you can get your head around, right? And we're singing these words, and I just felt that we finally, as we sung that third line, got to something so significant in our worship that actually... that we come and we sing to a holy God that we, that we know and experience in our lives is no small thing, right? That actually it doesn't take a genius more than two minutes to realize that, that in and of ourselves, in all our brokenness, in all our mess, and all that the Bible calls our sinfulness, we've got no right on a Sunday morning to come into the presence of the living God and sing His praises and call Him our friend, right? And yet... We're doing that today. And as um, Andy testified of, it's a living experience, right? And, and, and the reason is, if you're here and you're like, how can that be? What on earth is going on with these people that they get excited about such a thing? It's because there's a person who lived 2,000 years ago who stands between us in our brokenness and sinfulness and this holy and majestic God and says, I'm going to make a way through my life and my death and my resurrection to to bring these broken people who don't deserve anything into the presence of God, both now and for all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, it's no small thing that we're doing together, right? And it's no small thing, this good news that we, we have encountered and have experienced and have submitted to that that our broken sinfulness could somehow be made right with God through Jesus the Son forevermore. And I guess I wanted just to throw that in up front because I don't want us to miss this morning the, the wonder and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk uh, from the Bible, but I guess um, I, I, we're going to talk about some stuff aside from the gospel, but I just wanted us to see as we've been worshipping and singing, that that at the centre all of this is Jesus Christ, God's own Son, sacrificed on our behalf that we might come from being far from God, enemies of God for all eternity, dead in our sin, and to be able to stand with our hands in the air and say, Holy God, Holy God, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. We've seen Him. We've experienced Him. We've encountered His love because, because... we sang earlier, didn't we? I, I nearly exploded. When, when it, said, it said that we've been clothed in royal robes, right? And like, I look at my life and I look at my week and I go to be one that gets royal robes to stand in the presence of a holy God. I mean, that's beyond glorious and good for me today. That's not the sermon. I just needed to get that out. And I'll start my clock now because that wasn't a sermon, so I get that for free. I have to say, slightly offended that my uh, dad booked me to speak and then 
went on holiday. <laughs> Don't know what that says about the quality of my preaching, I guess we're going to find out. The only thing I know about my parents' holiday is that my mum left her phone in the back of a taxi. So if you've been trying to get hold of her, she's not ignoring you. Um, I've not heard anything much from them since either. Um, but uh, it's really good to be with you. And um, I'm so glad to hear as well that Reese and Tim came last week. There's some friends of mine. I am constantly challenged by their um, passion and desire to see the supernatural power of God break into the church. And um, they came up and, and, and spoke in our church a few months back. And it was a funny old thing because um, Reese tells all these different stories about all sorts of things. And we're like, right, we're ready. We're ready for some of that right here, right now. And um, we prayed for a bunch of people in our church that day, and actually, um, there was nothing significant in that moment that, that happened. And, and yet, I think it moved something in our hearts as a church um, to say, well, if, like you said, I can't remember who said it, Reese and Tim, they're just two blokes from Bargoid, right? They're like, <laughs> but if they can come and, and pray for people and, and, and people's lives encounter God then why can't we do the same? And so um, it was funny, in the weeks after Reese and Tim coming, we just, I think, had a bit more enthusiasm and a bit more faith to pray for people, for healing and for other things. And all of a sudden, God started doing stuff. And so um, we saw a lady's foot get healed. Um, we, we saw um, Warren, actually, you came to me and said, hey, I'm really struggling with headaches, and we prayed, didn't we? And, and they, they just seemed to go away, and our little boy Caleb was struggling with reflux, and I think Reese prayed for him that night, but um, you, time, time will tell with reflux, right, whether you get vomited on the rest of that week or not, and it didn't happen. And, um, and we even had a, a girl in her 20s, an unbelieving friend from Merthyr, come to church with um, some sort of rheumatoid arthritis or something, and, you know, she, we prayed for her, and we, she stopped taking her tablets, and it's, it's all gone away, and you think, well, wow, it's good, eh? And I just want to encourage you to, it's not recent Tim's thing, you know, praying for the sick. It's, it's in the Bible. It's God's thing. It's the Spirit that works, and I, I, don't, I don't know how it works. I just know that it seems the more people we pray for, um, some of them sometimes get healed, and that's a good thing, right? It's an advancement of the kingdom. Quick update from our church in Tonopandi. I've been asked to share, so you just have to sit through it. But um, yeah, we're in Tonopandi. Um, God is good. He's building his church. Um, possibly one of the best things from my perspective is that um, my other elder, Simon, has just come on to our staff three days a week, which means I'm no longer running around like a crazy headless chicken. I'm just running around like a headless chicken. Um, and um, I just think the church feels like it's in a healthy place. Um, and so our next big step is that we're hoping to start a second congregation at the top of the valley in Traherba or Triorki area. Um, me and Lois and the boys have uh, bought a house. We're going to move up there. We've got, we were actually with a, a girl from Traherba yesterday night who got saved, I don't know, two years ago, 18 months ago. She's seen her sister come to faith, her mum come to faith, her best mate, her best mate's partner. And she just sat there last night and said, so if we're going to do something in Traherba, like, who's going to come? And she just like started listing off this list of names. And we were like, I, I mean, I'm just excited. I don't know anybody in Traherbert, but Jenna knows everybody, you know? And people have seen her life transformed by this glorious gospel. And like, wouldn't it be cool if God would start a church in Traherbert full of Traherbert people that 
um, don't know Jesus yet, and um, that's what we're praying for. So that's our big thing. But just um, something to encourage you as well. Some of you will know Dave um, Wayman. He's not here today, is he? No. Um, Dave's uh, Leanne is. Hey. Um, I think Leanne knows what I'm going to say. So um, Dave and Leanne, you guys know, I first met Dave, I think we were involved with an alpha course when I was about 19 down in Rabina together. Um, and all of a sudden, I don't know, when we planted the church in Tonopandi, this rumor got back to me that like, Dave's family were from Tonopandi. And um, so um, we knew one person in Tonopandi when we knew, or when we moved, and then um, I knew that Dave's mom lived on Barry Road, and so I was like, well, that's, that's a start. Um, and we didn't have much to do with her for a, a number of years until one day Pam uh, just turned up on our Sunday afternoon service, um, and she came in, and um, I think it's fair to say that you could see the weight of life just bearing down on her. And um, Pam must have been with us, I don't know, now about a year or so, and um, she would tell you if she was here just what a remarkable difference knowing Jesus has made in her life. She's, um, she's, she's 72, and she said to me a few we- months back, she said, Ben, um, I've struggled with anxiety all of my life, and no one told me Jesus is the answer. Isn't that cool? Um, and so we baptized her, I can't remember when it was, a few months ago. And then um, what I love with these stories when Jesus changes people's lives is that often you start to see the ripple effect go out. And so uh, uh, in the middle of August, I actually wasn't in church, but um, all of a sudden, Pam turns up with this big, stocky, gnarly-looking guy from the Ronda who's like about 30. And you kind of try and connect the dots, and we find out that this is um, Pam's, one of Pam's grandkids. I think that's right. A guy called Daniel. Uh, I don't know much about Daniel. I don't know his story. I still haven't had a very good conversation with him. But he's in church one day, and a lady comes to the front of our meeting, uh, a Ronda lady with a very powerful prophetic gift, and she says she's always so, um, she's always so insecure when she feels like she's got a prophetic word. She's like, I don't like being at the front. I wish this wasn't me. Um, if it's wrong, I'm really sorry. And then she always says the thing that's going to cut to somebody's heart. And so she says all that. And she says, I just feel like there's somebody here who's come to church and God wants to save you right now. And Pam's grandson, Daniel, comes to the front. I wasn't there, but as I understand it, throws his arms around one of our, my other elder, Simon, in tears and just says, I need to be saved by God. And um, it's so powerful when you see people people's lives being transformed that transforms other people's lives, you know? It's the power of the gospel at work. Um, So pray for Pam, pray for Daniel, pray for many stories in the Ronda of broken lives being transformed by the Lord Jesus. That'd be awesome. Fine. Let's go. Let's go to the Bible. We're going to... um, talk from Acts 15 today and 16. It's been a bit of a uh, funny message for me to prepare. Oh, thank you, mate. Often I find when I'm preparing sermons, it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of thinking, a lot of grinding something out to say. I have to say, with this particular sermon, um, I was I was reading this passage because we've just been preaching through the book of Philippians, and so for the first sermon, I thought, well, it'd be good to read some of the backstory of how the Philippian church started. 
And as I was doing so, I just felt like the Holy Spirit whispered into my heart and said, Ben, this is, that, this is the message I want you to bring in Anan in September. And so um, that's why I'm bringing it. I know that Phil said to be at liberty to say what the Lord um, has to say. And um, hopefully this will be helpful. Um, I'm a little bit nervous, but that's fine. And um, just trusting that this is God's word for this moment and that the Holy Spirit will use it for you guys as a body. So let's just read. We'll read from uh, Acts 15, 36 and into chapter 16. I think it'll be on the next slide. And I've got to remember to click this button, otherwise it's not going to move. There we are. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And Paul came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, but Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. Poor guy. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew in number daily. And Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for, can't say that, and the next day we went on to Neapolis, and from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of, can't say that, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Father, we ask for your help right now to understand your word, to hear your voice, that we might um, go out here um, having encountered you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Fab. So if this story is unfamiliar to you, um, rewind 19 years, Jesus Christ died and rose again and proved himself to be the King of Kings, the Savior for our sin and the way to God for all eternity. And um, strangely enough, rather than um, staying around and keeping that message to himself, he decided to leave and go to heaven and left this message, this gospel good news, in the hands of his disciples to take to the ends of the earth. And um, we find the story of that happening in the book of Acts. 
And so we're here in Acts chapter 15, and a whole lot of progress has been made. Thousands of people have discovered that Jesus is the way to have eternal life, and lots and lots of churches have been planted. And in the book of Acts, and this story goes on, but um, it zooms in on the conversion of one particular person, and that's a guy called Saul, who comes to be known as Paul. So Saul is a persecutor of Christians, and um, he meets Jesus in a vision whilst walking to Damascus to persecute some Christians, and um, Paul encounters Jesus, and he goes from being a sinner to a saint, and he goes from being a persecutor to a preacher of the message of the gospel. And so um, from a a few chapters before where we are, um, the, the story picks up with with this guy Paul and his um, efforts to see this good news message get spread um, throughout the Mediterranean. And by the time we get to chapter 15, uh, these guys have been traveling around. They've been, uh, to, they've been to Cyprus and to into Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. In fact, I've got a map. I like a map. They start over in Syria, uh, on the right in yellow, and you can see a blue line that comes down to Cyprus. They come up to Pamphylia, and then they head up into Galatia, modern-day Turkey, and they go to Lystra and Derb, and then they head home. And so they've been traveling around, planting churches, preaching the gospel, and then we pick up the story. Uh, we're told in verse 36 that after some time, a few years, they decide, actually, it would be quite a good thing to go back where we've been and to strengthen the churches that we planted. And I've come to love verse 36. It says, After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. I love this verse. It seems um, insignificant, and yet in it we see a snapshot of what the church is supposed to be all about, right? Do you see that? Proclaiming the message of the gospel so that the kingdom could advance through the planting and strengthening of churches. That's what we're supposed to be doing here, right? And my feeling is, um, for myself and possibly for you, that on my best days, I wake up and that's clear in my mind and I get up passionate and I want to see people reached in Tonopandi and the Rhonda so that they can have their eternity changed and so that they can come and join the family of God. And as a church, in our best moments, we come together on a Sunday or we have our hope communities. And and at the forefront of our mind is how can we be a witness to Jesus to advance his gospel to the ends of the earth? I think you guys are probably the same, right? On our best days, we get clear on that. And yet, if you're anything like me, it can be hard to maintain that the church has a mission. If that's the mission of the early church, then that's the mission I want for my church, except it sounds really good on paper, but when you actually get into it, things can get rather messy, can't they? So, in in verse 36, Paul and Barnabas have this wonderful plan, and then in verse 37, Barnabas decides, well, I think we'll take along John Mark. But verse 38, in fact, if I go back here, you can read it as we go. But verse 38, but Paul 
did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. There was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Things were going so well. The gospel was going forwards. They'd gone place to place to place. They had stories to tell. They'd hatched a plan to go back and strengthen the churches that they'd planted. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, it all falls apart. Right? I I don't suppose that when Paul and Barnabas were in Galatia first time round, seeing people saved, seeing churches planted, they ever thought that something would come between them and that there would be a fracture in their team. But missional church is messy church. And you guys know that when these things happen, it can be incredibly discouraging. We, we see here a, a fracture in a team because of a disagreement. In chapter 15, just before we get to this point, we see a theological conflict arise in the church and these guys are battling it out. Just before we have that, in chapter 14, there's persecution and pressure coming from outside the church. It's messy stuff. And if your life is anything like my life, because church is messy, it can quickly become a discouraging place to be. I want to be clear for a moment. What we're reading about is a leadership disagreement, not a leadership disqualification. But nevertheless, these are defining moments in the mission of the gospel, right? And how we respond when it hits the fan is actually really important as to whether the church carries on and fulfills its purposes or not. Right? So I want to draw our attention to how the Apostle Paul responds in verse 40. It's quite remarkable, actually. Then Paul chose Silas and departed and being commended to the grace of the Lord. And after being commended, sorry, I can't read. Try again. Then Paul chose Silas and departed, comma, after being commended to the grace of the Lord by his brothers. There's no doubt in my mind that this must have been a discouraging moment for Paul, right? Don't for a minute think that Paul is like the the heartless evangelist that is just on like some sort of like crazy crusade and doesn't care about people. If you read his letters to his churches, he absolutely loves with passion the people that he's working alongside. He cares about them deeply. He cares about them like really a lot. Barnabas was Paul's brother in the Lord. In fact, Barnabas was the first person that accepted Paul into the Christian community. Everybody else was scared of Paul because he'd been murdering people, which is fair enough. And Barnabas says, hey, maybe we should give him the time of day. He was his comrade. They'd, They'd been and done the stuff together. And it's fallen apart. And I'm sure Paul would have faced the same temptations that we can be tempted to face in these kind of moments, to be disillusioned 
with the church, to perhaps to try and dissect every detail of what's happened, perhaps to be drawn into making this moment the center of all conversation, perhaps we're just tempted to take our foot off the gas a little bit and settle for something less than all that God has for us. Maybe Paul was even tempted to just be paralyzed and say, can we even go on? And yet, what I love is that there was this overriding commitment to the cause of the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, which meant that Paul didn't just dwell in that moment and become paralyzed, he, the mission went on. I want to say, I think that the temptation for Paul is the same temptation for all of us, both in your church and mine. That discouragements come. And the temptation is that when discouragements come, that, that we, we somehow we shrink back, we, 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 we dial down, we, we, we just become disillusioned and half-hearted. You know, the Rhonda Valley, where we are, one of the saddest things is that the Rhonda is just littered with Christians that don't go to church because they've been hurt or discouraged or disillusioned. And because of that, in our valley, less than 1% of people go to church, any kind of church on a Sunday morning. The mission has been wounded. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We have hurts and wounds that need healing through the truth of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. But what I love about verse 40 is that Paul is living for something bigger, something more significant, something more important than just, just a, a discouraging moment of difficulty in the life of the church. And so Paul finds some new friends and the mission goes on. And goes on in a wonderful way. I love the start of chapter 16. Paul goes and they go to some of the churches where they'd been. Let's see if we can get it up again. And here, it's the, um, the purple line from... Antioch in Syria, up through Cilicia. He shortcuts his way to Derb. It's a bit of an easier journey than the route they took back. <laughs> they go to Derb. He goes and visits these churches, which he, was what he planned to do with, um, with Barnabas. And then they try and go, first of all, to um, Asia Minor, which you can see in orange in the middle of the map. And the Holy Spirit prevents them going. And then they try and go to Bithynia, which you can see, um, help me out, somebody, oh, the top in yellow. Is it yellow or green? I don't know. Bithynia, right in the top by the Black Sea. And the Holy Spirit stops them from going there too. Poor old Paul. He's just gone through a really discouraging moment of breakup with his best mate. He gets on with the mission and then wherever he tries to go, he's not allowed. <laughs> Discouraging, right? And then, one night, in all of the pain and the difficulty and the heartache and the questions and everything else, a man from Macedonia appears to Paul in a dream and says, come on over here. And Paul, because Paul is always thinking about mission, he says, well, that must mean we've got to go there to preach the gospel. And so him and Silas 
and whoever else they've got with us, they go. Um, and they go across the purple line, across the top of Asia to Troas, and then they sail for Philippi. And in Philippi, Paul meets a businesswoman selling cloth next to a river praying, and she comes to know the Lord Jesus, and her and her household are saved. And then he gets put in prison, and um, to cut a long story short, there's some, uh, some earthquakes, and, and Paul gets released, and the jailer gets very worried about the whole thing, but he comes to know the Lord and his household too, and they end up at Lydia's house, and all of a sudden, out of all the heartache and pain and discouragement, a church is birthed in Philippi, in Macedonia, in Europe, in a different continent, where Paul had never thought to go. Isn't that remarkable? And we sit here in Ainham Baptist Church because the Holy Spirit took the gospel into Europe in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. I feel like the Lord stirred me with three encouragements for us. I feel these things deeply, but it's for you guys to weigh up and determine whether they're right or not. Firstly, I believe the Lord wants to encourage you to stay focused on what really matters. We discussed Paul's overarching commitment to the mission of the gospel. No matter how much he hurts, he knew that the gospel needed to go forward. Right? I'll tell you, church, that God has called you to something very big that the people of Tonguin Lice and this part, patch north of the M4 needs this church to be on mission and to take the gospel to people that don't know it, know Jesus. Your friends and your family and your neighbors that are dead in their sin need this church to be laser focused on the mission of the gospel so that people go from being dead in their sin to being alive to Christ. And I don't want you to miss it. I felt like for some of us, maybe that means in our hearts and in our minds, we need to draw a line under some of the stuff that's been going on, some of our questions, some of our discouragements, and say we've got to live for something bigger than those things. For others of us, maybe it's, ju it's just been a season of discouragement where we just know we've taken our foot off the gas a little bit. It's not that we've become paralyzed. It's not that we've become completely disillusioned. We just, we've just taken our foot off the gas a little bit. Maybe we've settled for comfort. I feel like the Holy Spirit would say to us today, Focus on what really matters. We want to see, when we get to heaven, a crowd of people from Tonguin Lice and the surrounding area that have found the joy of knowing Jesus for all eternity. They're with us, right? Second thing I want to say, I believe the Lord wants to say to you, stay faith-filled for the journey ahead. Right? Nothing... Well, if I put this, discouragement is the enemy of faith, right? You know, I don't know what discouragements you guys might be facing. It might 
be um, completely different to some of the challenges that this church has been facing in recent months. But in general, discouragement is the enemy of faith. And we feel that in what we're doing in the Rhonda all the time. And what can happen is when hard times come on the church or on our lives, we can subconsciously lower our standards of what God wants to do in us and through us. I believe the Lord wants to impart fresh faith to us today through this story. And not least because this church is a fantastic church. I've got a strange perspective from which I view the church because I remember the day that my parents said to, sat me and my boys down, as, uh, me and my brothers down and said, we're, we're leaving Rabina, we're going to go and help plant or rejuvenate a church in Tonguinlai. So you can come if we wanted. And we said, we're going to stay in Rabina. Um, and for 15 years, we've journeyed with, with all that's gone on, you know. And sometimes when you're in the middle of something, you can't see just how remarkable what God has been doing really is. But God is at work here, and he's building his church here, and people have come to faith here, and that's a remarkable thing. Paul was a man of, who faced incredible discouragement, and yet he pressed on with tremendous faith. And the reason for that was that his, his faith wasn't rooted in his circumstances or his problems, but in the power of God and in, his, and in God's absolute commitment to want to win sinners to himself right? That's where our faith is for the church. I think it's wonderful in verse 5 of chapter 16 where we read, the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. I want you to believe for a fresh harvest for this church in these days. Just feel that in my spirit. Because God's 100% committed to displaying his glory through the church despite the mess. That's the book of Acts. That's the 2,000 years since. God is committed to displaying his glory through the church despite the mess. Ephesians 2. God only worked in perfect churches where there was no mess and no problems. We wouldn't have got past Acts 15 and we probably wouldn't have even got that far, right? And I feel like the Lord would want to encourage you as well. There was something that marked out Paul's life. And I think it was this. He had faith that God wanted to use him. Do you know? That's why he kept on going and going and going. Because somewhere deep inside, he had this conviction that the Holy Spirit wanted to use him to advance the kingdom of God in his day. Now, you might say, oh, he's the Apostle Paul. But he was also just a man, empowered by this, the Holy Spirit with the same authority that we've been given to make disciples, speaking the same gospel that we have today. As a sinner to other sinners, God can use you. So be faith-filled. I think what that looks like for us in the Rhonda, some people accuse me of being a dreamer. We're asking the Lord for a gospel-centered, spirit-filled church in every community in the Rhonda because the people of the Rhonda need it. 
We're, we're talking about the second congregation. We're talking about sending an Eden team with the message trust into a little place called Blind Gwynvy in the Avon Valley. Maybe we're stupid, but I'd rather go, I'd rather bet my life on going for a big mission because we've got a big God than going for a small mission because we don't think we have, right? So stay focused because people's eternal destinies depend on it. Stay faith-filled because God wants to use you to display his glory. And finally, perhaps I think this is the strongest thing I felt of all, be open in this chapter to the leading of the Spirit. One thing you can't escape in the story of the birthing of the Philippian church is that God had a plan, right? And God's plan was bigger and better than even what Paul could conjure up. In verse 36, they planned to go back to where they'd been. In verse 6 of chapter 16, Paul wants to go to Asia Minor. God has a different plan. In verse 7, Paul's trying to go to Bithynia. Another good plan, but it wasn't God's plan. And then the Holy Spirit speaks. And a whole new chapter of Paul's ministry starts. A whole new continent is opened up to the gospel. And I suppose I just have this conviction in my heart for you guys that this is a moment at the start of a new chapter to listen and be open to what the Holy Spirit has for you. It's not my place to say what, what it is the Holy Spirit has for you, but my prayer is that the Spirit will lead you into a fresh sense of direction and a fresh sense of vision for where you're going. You might have thought, like Paul did in verse 37, this is our direction, this is our team, and then things got messy. And it might feel like we'll never quite get back on our feet again, but I want to tell you, God has a plan. And I believe it's a plan that's bigger than you could ever imagine. So ask the Lord. Seek the Spirit as a church. It's for um, the leaders here to determine what that looks like, for how you do that together. But, but get hold of what the Holy Spirit has for you by faith and run after it with everything you've got. So I want to encourage you as the body of Christ to listen to his voice. Set aside time to seek him for a God-sized vision. Be focused, be faithful, and listen for that vision. That the gospel might transform Tongwin Lice and the, the surrounding area for the glory of Jesus, right? It's a big mission. We've got a big God. Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that speaks. Thank you for the, the healing that you bring. Thank you for your plans for your church to display the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers and authorities 
Thank you, Lord, that you've placed this people here at such a time as this, that your kingdom might advance through the preaching of the gospel, that lost people might become found people, and people that are destined for a Christless eternity might end up in heaven, in the new creation forever. God, help us to keep focused on what really matters. Help us to have faith in the God of the Bible. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would graciously allow them to hear your voice, to renew their sense of vision and purpose and direction and unity that they might together run hard for the advancement of your kingdom in these days, for the glory of your Son. Help us, Lord, we pray. Amen.